0: that God is amazing and he is worthy of uh, our praise and worship and uh, we thank you so much for that uh, message and song this uh, morning from Allegra and, and Devin. Well before we look at uh, actually that theme this morning, uh, worship, uh, let's look to the Lord in prayer one more time. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of uh, just reflecting upon who God is and how amazing he is and, uh, and what he has done. And we pray in the midst of, of being exposed to your word this morning that we might be more full of what it means to, to live a life that acknowledges who you are in our life and help us to come to that place where worship is not just reserved for an hour a week, but it's an experience that we pursue um, every day of, of every week and every month and every year that you leave, that you leave us here. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. There is a true story told of a a man named Thomas Beecher who was a pastor who happened to have a brother who was a little bit more famous and actually a little bit more gifted, at least on a natural level, or maybe even spiritual level as it relates to how people respond to him, named Henry Ward Beecher. And Henry Ward Beecher was probably the Billy Graham of that day in terms of people coming out to hear him uh, speak. And one day, uh, Thomas invited his brother to come preach at his church. And as he made the announcement uh, over, the weeks to, uh, over the weeks to come, as far as people anticipating his coming to uh, hear him uh, communicate, uh, the crowds began to be expressed in terms of the interest, and they knew it was going to be a packed house. In fact, on that particular Sunday, it was packed to overflowing. There was one problem. And in fact, I'm going to kind of update this for a moment. It was obvious that Henry Ward was a very gifted man, and um, if we were to put in contemporary terms, then you could fill in the blank with maybe your personal favorite preacher, but let's say uh, Billy Graham was being invited to come on a particular Sunday here. And um, whether, whether, and if you've heard Franklin Graham, who's a good communicator, but if you compare him to his dad, then you would probably say that Billy was more gifted in terms of, of uh, being used of God in terms of drawing a crowd and speaking to a crowd. But Billy Graham was being invited to this particular place. We're kind of updating this, uh, this story and as, as that moment came and it was packed um, we'll, I'll call myself Franklin Graham. Franklin Graham came up here and said I, I've, I've got two announcements for you. The first announcement is my dad, Billy, is severely sick this morning and he's not going to be able to preach. Well as soon as he said that everyone just began to groan and kind of murmur and just making kind of unpleasant noises and uh, some actually began to get up out of their chairs to leave so that's my first announcement wait for my second announcement my second announcement all of you came to worship billy you can leave but all of you came to worship jesus you can stay (laughs) You know, that would speak to the heart of why did someone come? Did they come just to hear a gifted man? In that case, it was Henry Ward Beecher, uh, and disappointed because only his brother was going to communicate, or would it be because Billy was supposed to be there, but really his son was going to be the speaker that morning? Or, or or whatever it might be. Pick your favorite pastor being announced to come, and all of a sudden your own pastor was the only one left to say anything on that particular Sunday. And, and the question would be asked, well, why did you come? Did you come to hear that person that that you uh, are just so excited about hearing or did you really come to hear about the person they were speaking to and about well this morning we're going to talk about worship and i tell the message worship works but i could easily have put it this way you need to work at worship now in some ways that almost doesn't make sense because we're thinking well, why should i have to work at worshiping shouldn't it just be natural shouldn't it be just a flow out of my heart and my life shouldn't it just be second nature to me because i just recognize what it's all about well none of us are that spiritual if anybody is that spiritual you can leave right now all right because i have to work at worship i have to work at getting out what god wants me to get on that particular day uh, whether it be in a corporate setting like this or on a day-by-day experience to really put my focus on him uh, and I find that when I do worship, it works. It works for me, but I have to work at worshiping. Now, anybody married, do you, do you realize that it takes work to get that marriage to work, right? <laughs> I just saw Warren put his arm around Jeannie. Okay, I'm, I'm going I'm to work on this right now, all right? You know, relationships, it, it is, as caring and loving as they are, the, the, you know, some of it comes natural, but you got to work at it because there are all kinds of things that will disrupt that relationship. And I want to throw this out at the very beginning. Sometimes when we think about worship, we think of it only in terms of being a religious activity. But I want to communicate to you, it's not so much a religious activity, it's a relational activity. Particularly when you understand what worship is, because it's, it's really about uh, understanding that relationship that you have, or, or that one you should have, or want to have. So this morning what I want to do, and we, we're, we'll put it in, in the setting of the book of Revelation in a moment. But I, I really think in the midst of where we're at today in this book, the 15th chapter, the, the last book of the Bible, and if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Revelation. And uh, the section we're going to be looking at, actually, for you trivia fanatics, it's the, it's the shortest chapter in the book of Revelation. It's only eight verses. Now, in case you think that means you're going to get a short message, you're not going to get a short message. But there's only eight verses in this entire chapter. But it really speaks to the heart of God's people going through and having gone through this experience, and we're going to see it that they respond with worship. But I want to ask, answer a couple questions this morning. First of all, I want to answer why worship, and actually, not only why worship, but what worship is. And then we're going to talk about how to worship. It's one thing to know what something is and even why you ought to be involved in it, but then you ask the question, "Well, how do I do it?" If it's so important, how do I do what I'm supposed to do? And and we hope to do that this morning. Uh, let me submit this just to begin. Why, why, why would a person worship? And even before I say that, uh, everybody worships. E- everybody worships throughout their day and throughout their week, throughout their life. And there's worship with a capital W, and there's worship with a lower cap. Because all w- what worship is, and this is the what of worship, it's, it's, it's expressing value to something or someone. Whenever you put value to something, whenever you, you uh, d- determine a, a person or a, a thing's worth, you are subscribing to it a worship. That We do it all the time. If you're a sports fan, uh, today is kind of a, a, a big weekend for sports. I mean, you know, they have college football on Saturday, and then on Sunday, the big, I mean, I know it started on Thursday, but the NFL is now having its multitude of games on Sunday. Uh, But today is also, if you're a sportsaholic, it's also one of the Grand Slam tournaments for tennis. And if you are a sportsaholic who likes both, you have to decide, okay, which one am I going to, what, watch. And whichever one you watch, you're going to worship that sport, that particular moment, more than that other sport you like. Would you agree with that? Uh, For many of you, when you come uh, Sunday, the biggest question for you is what happens after church. Where am I going to eat, right? And, and, and wherever you choose to eat, you're going to, in a way, express worship. You're going to assign worth uh, or value to wherever you go. Uh, for instance, if you decide to go to a fast food or your own home, maybe the worth you're putting to it, this is a lot less expensive if I eat at home or go to a fast food restaurant. Now, if you decide, I'm going to go to someplace nice, you're saying... I, I, I apply wealth, not wealth, worth or value to a fine meal, right? You're, you're, you're expressing value, you're assigning value to something that you're doing in life. And, and when we think of, and that's worship with a small W, but when we think about worship with a, a capital W, that is assigning value to that which is most important in life compared to anything in life, right? So what worship is, it's it's expressing value, and maybe even surpassing value, to anything else in life. But it's, that answer, what, what is worship, is also related to why worship. Because the reason we worship, because we, we experience value from that which we, we put worth to, right? Whether it's eating a, a meal we want to eat because we want to save money, or we want to experience fine food... We think that's value, valuable to us. We have, there's certain worth to that. Take your head like you understand what I'm saying. Okay? Now, and when you watch a program or you go see your kids play a sport, your grandkids play the sport, or you're, you're determining what kind of music you like, what, what station you're going to put on the radio, right? You, you, you assign a value to the station you put it on, whether you want to hear news or whether you want to uh, hear music. You, all of a sudden you put value or worth to what you're going to listen to. Now, if you make a good choice, it adds value to your life, right? Have you ever, have you ever uh, paid money to go see a movie that someone highly valued and said you got to go see it, and then you go see the movie, and you go, that was the worst movie I've ever seen. It didn't bring value to me. I just wasted money and time for what I invested in. Now, that's a long way to say this. My pitch, the Bible's pitch, and I, I would assume many of you would, would agree with this premise, is that the reason we worship what it, not only what it does in terms of acknowledging who God is, He is worthy of it, but also what it does for us. It, it brings so much more value to our life. Now, let me throw out a few verses that would just substantiate that. Look at Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. And the person who wrote this, this is not where he used to be, but this is where he is now when he writes this. But whatever things were gained to me, in other words, they had value to me, enhanced my life, those things I have counted as loss. Have there been some things in your life that you were really into before? I mean, just really into it. And, then, and now you look back, you know, was I so interested in that hobby or that activity? that was just a waste of time and effort? Or if it, if it was, it, I, I'm involved in so much more important things now than I used to be, or much more things that bring me so much more happiness. okay? He says, the things that I used to think that were valuable, I no longer think that. I count they, kind of as lost. Why? I found something better, and that's the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value. Of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So, what worship is, is coming to the point in your life where you recognize there isn't anything better than this. I don't care what that commercial says about beer, all right? Is that, you know, it does get better than this. It's knowing God and experiencing life to its fullness. And that's where Paul came to. All the things he used to be involved in, he said, they're they're nothing compared to the, the value of worth I place now in my relationship with Christ. For whom, and he says this, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. So in many ways, as you're on your journey, whether you've already started or considering it, we're saying this, there is nothing better than knowing Christ. Doesn't mean it's easy, doesn't mean it's always going to be experiential in terms of, of getting all the things you want in life compared to the things you don't want in life. What we don't want in life is trials. What we do want things, all, all kinds of happy experiences. It doesn't mean that. But in the midst of, in, in the, the, the innermost part of your being, you realize there is nothing better than this. Now, Jesus made some promises related to that. One we kind of worked on as a memory verse a couple months ago, John 10.10. 10. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that you might have life. And if we stop right there, and so say, well, what kind of life? People have life. Everyone is living. That's still breathing right now. He says, I've come that you might have life, but have it abundantly. And then one of my favorite verses in, in John where it says that these things I've spoken to you, that you might have my joy in you and that your joy may be made full. So, so Jesus is saying, look it, I, I'm going to challenge you to, to live for me. It's not going to be easy but I'm saying in the midst of all that you go through, you're going to experience life to its fullness, and you'll experience that which everyone wants, which is joy. You will experience value as you see how much value I have and worth in your life. That's what worship is, and that's why we worship, because it brings value. One last attempt to kind of grab all of our hearts and minds. A related word in the New Testament for, wor- for, for worship is the weight of something. You know, what just, you know, how much does it really weigh? What's, what's the substance of it? And basically, when we live a life trying to experience God in its fullness and, and obeying Him and following Him and turning from that which got, causes us to be distracted in our relationship with, with God and doing the things that please Him most, this is the most weighty thing you can do in life. This has its most substance. Everything else will kind of just fly away, but this is what really matters. You know, Most people in life, when when you ask them to to really consider about uh, being a Christ follower, one of the first questions they'll ask, if if they don't ask it, they're thinking this, what do I have to give up to follow Jesus? And there might be things they're going to have to give up, but what God is saying, look at whatever you give up, I'm giving you so much more and so much better and you're you're not going to always understand it but trust me this is worth it this is this has substance this has weight now this is just introduction to the section in revelation chapter 15 because revelation is a, is an amazing book it's it's the unique book in which it's It's dedicated, from my understanding of it, of not looking back in the past to learn lessons from other people who've already lived to walk for God. It's looking to the future, to people who haven't lived, and learning lessons from them. And God begins by giving John a glimpse of looking at who Jesus is in chapter 1 and seeing Jesus and his majesty and power and might. In chapters two and three, we have lessons to the churches then and to now about things that we need to, to remind ourselves what it, what it means to follow God and put Him first. And then in chapters four, basically to the end of the book, you, you have God projecting to the future for John to see things that are about to happen or will happen and say, okay, here's what I want to not only help you with, but also warn those now living and those who will live about, okay, you, you better get this right. And basically what it's getting right is recognizing that God and God alone is worthy of our expressing to him that we believe he is of surpassing value, just like Paul. And as we think about that, those who are going to be living during this period of time, as I understand the book of Revelation, as they go through this, you'd be thinking, why would anybody assign surpassing value for knowing Jesus when... Making that assessment or that, that commitment to assign surpassing value to Jesus, which means they put their faith in Him and allegiance to Him and commitment to Him, for most of them, it, it, the cost was it, they had to give up their life. They were martyred for their faith. They, they went through experience of, of, of suffering during this time like no other time that has been or will be. Because, and we'll be talking about this a little bit later on in the service, you know, what is a barrier to worship? What a, what is bar- uh, one of the barriers to worship is when things aren't going right. If worship is primarily expressing, surpassing value to Jesus, when, when things aren't going right, and particularly if it's tied to our faith, that's the reason why some of those things aren't going right. It could be just other things. We're not in a worshipful mood, right? You know, when you, when you get a flat tire, it's, you get up, oh, Jesus, thank you so much for a flat tire. So, you know, we blew out a tire coming back from Rainbow Acres, you know, a couple weeks ago. And it just blew up on the freeway, 10. The 10 freeway we're going, I don't know who, who that driver was, but he was going 80 miles an hour, 85 miles an hour. On the, you know, it goes pretty fast in the 10 freeway. Well, anyway, So it blew out, okay? And now we're halfway between Blythe and Phoenix, 100 degrees temperature. We changed the tire, but it blew out a fuel line or a brake line, so we didn't know if we'd drive it safe or not. And you go, praise Jesus. No, is that, and that's not your natural response, right? So, so what keeps us from worshiping when sometimes we go through things that, that the value of what we're going through isn't, isn't producing natural joy? Uh, we got a text <laughs> Actually, that day, someone saw what happened. They said, well, I hope you're, particularly to Alice. She said, I hope your September is better than your August. Some of you knew that we, uh, you know, we had a tree fall on our roof and put a hole in our roof, and it's still there for a variety of reasons, and it's supposed to rain Monday and Tuesday. I mean, you know, um, well, so far, September hasn't been better than August, right? But does that change who Jesus is? Does that change that... In the midst of whatever goes on in life, there's value on the inside. That, that in the midst of whatever goes on in life, God's presence is there. And these things are just temporal bumps in the road. And, and these are little things compared to what's happening on the, on the borders of you know, Syria. We heard last week a quarter of those who are being driven out of their country are believers. And they have no place to go. And yet God's message to them is the same message to us. Well, are you going to worship me? Is there a a better place to go than to me? And and, and that was true for what those in the future will go through as well. So let's look at it this morning as we get to Revelation 15, where where it's it's right after God has announced uh, through John the wrath of God who's going to correct once and for all all the things that are broken in this world. And that's the thing that frustrates. Well, God, why don't you fix them now? If you're so powerful and so loving and kind, fix the things that go wrong in my life or wrong in the people I care about. And for God to do that, he'd have to eliminate those people who are living here, right? And so God is being patient, drawing people to himself. But there's coming a point in time where it's going to be over. And in chapters 4 through 19, we have God announcing his judgments that are about to come. One is pictured as a, as a book that, that only Jesus can open up, and the, there are seals that are broken, that like chapters in the, in the storyline where the judgments are unfolded. And then, as I understand this book, the, the, that last chapter, the seventh seal, out of that comes seven trumpets, which God blaring in a vocal way here are the next judgment that flow out of the the seventh seal judgments. And then out of that that seventh trumpet, there's one more picture of judgments, which is at the very end of this period that was like no other period of time. And it's it's called the bowl judgment, where God is going to pour out the last of God's wrath. And really, we're going to read in just a moment, if I get through my introduction, is that there's a section here where it says, where this is the last of God's judgment. Sometimes we go, is this the end? And sometimes people we go, well, it's not the end, but it's the beginning of the end. And, and what we are here is not the, not the end or the beginning of the end, but we have the, the last of the beginning of the end that is to come. Well, let's look at what God wants us to learn from not only why and what is worship, but, but how are we to worship. And these are very simple points this morning, but let's, let's try to impact them in the eight verses that are here. In Revelation 15, we, we have John experiencing again something visual that he puts in words for us to try to uh, experience what he experienced to learn the lessons about what's going to happen in the future. And he says, then I saw another sign in heaven. And he had seen a number of signs. He had seen a sign of, of Israel portrayed as a woman. He had saw, seen the serpent or the evil one as a, as a red dragon. Uh, and then here's another sign. He said, then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels who had seven plagues, which are the last, because in them the wrath of God is finished. There's going to come a time where God's last judgment will be unfolded here on earth. And he says this is going to be portrayed as angels pouring out plagues that will be the bowls of God's wrath here on earth. Verse 2. And then I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire. And it's as John experienced these things, I, mean, I mean, he didn't know how to describe all these things, so he just, this is, this is how I see it, is we see God before his throne, and, and it was a sea, but it was so clear, and it was so perfect. Have you ever, um, you know, been camping, and you, you see a lake, and all of a sudden there's not a ripple on it? It's just, just so clear and clean. If you, if you like to water ski, you say, that's a perfect, that's a perfect lake to water ski, But there's something else a clear sea does. It reflects that which is on the shore. Have you noticed that? If you've ever been camping, all of a sudden you look at the the water, not only you see the water, but also the trees and the rocks and maybe even people that are around the lake. It's a reflection of what is around it. And that's a pretty good word picture too of what worship is. Worship is, is reflecting back who God is to others. You know, why are we to love because God loves? Why are we to be gracious because God is gracious? Why are we to live holy lives because God is holy? Why should we be kind to others because God has been kind to us? And so in the midst of the throne, like a glass and the fire, which is the, the expression of God's power and might, is reflected back in the throne in heaven that he sees. But this is what strikes me. It says, And those who have been victorious over the beast and his image and the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, holding harps of God. So in in this picture, which is hard to jump into, what we see is a multitude of people that are holding instruments of worship. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Most of us don't think of harps as being instruments of worship. There are, you know, even in our our church, we have contemporary worship and traditional worship, and we have organs and pianos, and, and then we have guitars and keyboards and, Bases and everything. There's all kinds of instruments, but we don't normally have harps up here, right? We've had actually harps in our worship since I've been here, but that's not a, it's not a typical instrument because, number one, it's hard to play. I mean, you can play it, but not play it very well, all right? So somehow these harpists know how to play. But what they are, they're instruments of worship. And I'm thinking, why, why would these people be able to worship? Because even if you know what worship is, it's expressing surpassing value to who God is. Because you recognize He is the giver of life to its fullness and abundance. But, but when you don't feel that, how can you worship? Because for worship to work, you've got to work at worship. And, and the reason they were able to worship and how we work at it is to, to look at people who are pretty successful at worship. And the reason they were prepared to worship, and we're going to see how they worship in a moment, because they saw them, even though they had been martyred for their faith, that experienced the suffering of that time, they saw themselves as what? Victorious. Victorious. They saw themselves as winning. And, and let me just submit this to all of us this morning. How do you worship? By remembering who really wins. And that's, again, the simple message of this whole book. In the end, we win because God wins, and we're on His side. I mean, it, it, is, it is a joy to compete. If you like to do sports, it's joy just competing. But I, I don't care how much you enjoy just competing. It is better when you, what? When you win. Right? I mean, there's this I, I've, tried to, I've tried to change it because I don't always win. I'm trying to figure it out. But it's, it is more fun when you win. You're less tired, all those kind of things. I mean, when you win, it's just... And let me tell you, we're never going to win all the time here on Earth. But in the end, we win. And it, it's, it's such a different experience. If you recognize when things go wrong... I mean, last night, I, I went to go to get something from Albertson's. Came back and there was a tree blocking me from going to my house. My neighbor's tree fell. I'm thinking, how many trees are going to fall in our in our place? I mean, it's like they're going down like flies here. Okay, you know things go wrong, but God is still of surpassing value, and that's minimal compared to someone losing a, a family member because they identify with Christ. And I'm sure some of that happened. Some members of the family survived this whole seven-year period, and some died, and yet they all were victorious. So I, I'm just saying to all of us, whatever you're going through, whether you're feeling right now, you're kind of on a losing streak. You ever been on a losing streak? Um, but in the midst of knowing you're on a losing streak, if you know in the end you're going to win, it's still awesome. Then. So remember who wins. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, a very simple verse, is 1 Corinthians 15:57 but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So how do we worship? By remembering who really wins. Secondly, how do we worship? By singing. And we're going we're to see two songs here. I probably should have done in reverse order. But there are two songs we ought to sing. We ought to sing a new song and we ought to sing and what's the opposite of that? An old song. Now, We have two services. Uh, First service is more singing new songs, and second service usually sings more what? Old songs. You know what? There's nothing wrong with having your favorites, but let me tell you, we ought to be open to both, all right? Because that's always been the way God's people have worshipped, with old songs and new songs. That's true in the past, and it's also going to be true in the future. And let me just show that to you right now. Look at verse 3. And they sang the song of Moses. What kind of song would that be? An old song. And the bond servants of God. And the song, and then they sang the song of the Lamb. What would that be? That would be a new song. At least new to the people who were in Moses' day, right? Because, you know, it's interesting when you, when you talk about new songs or old songs. It's, when are you starting it? Okay? I don't know any church service that I know of that sings the songs of Moses. I, I've, never, I've never, you know, in terms of, and I know we don't necessarily use the same instruments they use. So it's all about how old you want to be. Do we only want to go back to the 18th century, the 17th century, the 16th century? How far back do you want to go? Do you want to chant it? Because, it, but, and, and really, the music forms, it, it's fine. If you like a certain instrument, you like a certain form of music, that's, that's, that's just personal preference. But what we need to do is, is recognize that God has done good things in the past, he's doing good things in the present, and he's going to do good things in the future. Uh, turn, turn your Bibles to what is described as, as new songs, even in the psalmist days. Turn to Psalm, I have Psalm 33 here, but I oh, will go to Psalm 33. Turn to Psalm 33. We looked at that a few weeks ago, but it, it just, again, describes that even then, they would, they would update their expression of praise to God. Sing for joy in the Lord, oh, verse 1, O oh, you righteous ones. Praise is becoming to the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with a lyre. Sing praises to him with a harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. Now, the word new is used in two different ways. Sometimes it's used new in time, sometimes it's new in kind. New in time would be, we never sang this song before. New in kind would be, uh, we're, we're singing about something; it may be the same way, but in, with with different subjects or themes. And so they, they, would, they would sing the song of Moses. Uh, turn to Exodus fifteen. Exodus fifteen. Uh, well, no, we no. Let's start in the new song. We'll stay with the new song. Turn to back to Revelation. In, in Revelation chapter five, we, we know they're going to they're sing a new song. Re- Revelation chapter five, verse nine. Uh, this is in heaven. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for, for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Now, this song actually has, has not even been fully experienced yet. And we know in Moses' day, they couldn't have sang this song because they had no idea the seals that were going to be broken. Uh, but, but they had things in their time. Basically, what happened, I'm kind of combining both points together, is that in Exodus 15, and you can read um, the song of, of Moses, I, I, I was tempted to sing it for you. I, I was going to sing all 18 verses. You know, <laughs> and then I thought I'd clear the house out. So I, I you know, but, and one of the beauties of old songs is, is, is they have many stanzas that build the, the content and the truth about it. And that was true in their day. Uh, but, but they didn't only sing about God bringing them out of the Red Sea. And that's what that, that's the song of Moses about. In Psalm 144, it says, sing a new song concerning what David has done as, as being a king. And so they, they changed the subject. They changed the themes. They, they recounted the things that God was doing presently as well as in the past. Um, but as God gives us this expression of praise and worship in Revelation, it says they, they sang an a old song and they sang a new song. Let, let's go back to Revelation 15 for a moment he gives some of the stanzas of what what they were singing and saying great and marvelous are your works O lord god the almighty righteous and true are your ways king of the nations you will not fear O lord and glorify your name for you alone are holy for all the nations will come and worship before you for your righteous acts have been revealed and see even in this in this two-line statement about a song that they sang, some of it, again, was looking to what God had done in the past, and then the other part was looking at what God had done in the future. Now, I, I throw this in just because it, it's important for us as, as God's people uh, not to have worship wars. And I don't think we're having worship wars, so I'm not talking about something we're doing presently. But to recognize the, the, what makes a good worship song compared to a poor worship song is what's in the song itself. It's it's what is the truth in it, and some songs that are much simpler communicate more powerfully than songs that are sometimes more complicated. You know, one one of my favorite songs is is uh, it comes out of Vacation Bible School. You know, um, Jesus loves me, this I for the what? I mean, I could sing that over and over and over again. That's pretty simple, and you can sing that in a contemporary. With a contemporary set or, a, or, or or an organ set, and then there are other songs that that really describe in great detail the imagining and power and the works of God. And, and and so let's let's just appreciate anybody's expression of worship as long as what they're worshiping is spoken to in truth. Uh, you know, there are hymns that the theology is not very good in, and I won't go through that. Um, and they're favorite hymns. And sometimes you, you need to really change some of the lines, some of the stanzas, because what it teaches is not true. And that's also true in contemporary music. Sometimes contemporary music, uh, you know, it's, it's saying the same thing just a million times, and, you, and, you, and it needs to move on. But the point can be that if it's an expression of who Jesus is and who God is and what he has done and he, what he is doing, it's appropriate ways, to express surpassing value as to who God is. And I would say to this service, probably people in in more contemporary settings of worship, they will listen to worship or music on the radio or on CDs more than people who are in traditional settings. We love it here, but there aren't too many radio stations that have hymns of the faith going all the time. Would you agree? Now, on the other hand, the the contemporary sound sometimes, you know, where's the depth to what they're singing about? And and what God wants us to recognize is let's not compete about who's better than the other, but recognize that it's always been the case, that there are old songs and there are new songs. And what's important is what is a song speaking about and speaking to let's let's get to my last point this morning you know what why and the what is of worship the why and what a worship is it it's about come to that point where worship brings you surpassing value because what it's doing is expressing the surpassing value to the one deserving it, which is almighty god how do we worship we worship when we don't feel like it by by remembering who really wins even those who lost their lives up in heaven were giving praise to God because they had been victorious when it looked like they had been defeated because in the end, God wins. Secondly, how we worship is by singing a new song and singing an old song. But what I want to leave this morning with is by remembering what stops worship. Now, what stops worship, we kind of talked about because if you forget that you're really on the winning side, your circumstances will will cause you not to respond in worship. But there's probably a more simpler description of what stops worship. Look at verses 5 through 8. After these things, after he expressed the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb, he said, after these things I looked, and the temple of the tabernacle of testimony in heaven was open." Which is an interesting statement right there too. Uh, some people are really deba- debating whether there's going to be a temple in the millennium and what would be the use for it and things like that. But there's, there's an expression of the temple actually in heaven. And it says, verse 6, and the seven angels who are the seven plagues came out of the temple in clothed and clothed in linen, clean and bright, and girded around their chests with golden sashes. So they portray what God has done uh, in purity and in majesty with the expression of the gold. Verse 7, then one of the four living creatures, angelic beings, gave to the seven angels, heavenly messengers up in, up, uh, in God's throne room. Seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And so this begins the, the end of the end as God's wrath is going to be poured out. But then verse 8 is what I want to close with. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from His power. Now here we here again, we have an expression of worship being displayed. Now not so much in song, but in Audio, I mean visual things, smoke of kind of the majestic Shekinah glory of God being present in a place of worship before God. And then it says this and no one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Now, what were the seven plagues of the seven angels? They were the, the bowls of God's wrath that are going to be poured out here on this earth. And why is God pouring out this wrath here on earth? Because this earth is filled with rebellion and rejection of the living God. And and it's it's the expression of sin that's in this world. Can, Can I submit to you something very, very simple? What stops worship in our lives or more personally, what stops worship in my life is when sin has not been dealt with? And on a global level, sin is going to be dealt with when God pours out His wrath. Then it says that no one's even able to get into the temple until this has been poured out. And in many ways, that, that so depicts us, isn't it? When I'm so preoccupied with myself, which is probably the, the clearest picture of what sin is, then I have no room to worship God. Because who has the surpassing value? What I'm going through, Right? What's important to me, what I am, where my focus is at. And so I have no room for God. When sin, things that dishonor Him, preoccupation with my own agenda, my own self, I can't even enter into the presence of God because the Bible says that if I regard or hold on to iniquity in my heart, the Lord won't even hear me. What's the, what's the point of praying if, if I haven't come to that point where I confess that which is separating me from Him? And so, so we think about worship, we need to understand what it is. It's, it's simply understanding that, that God is worthy of our praise. It's worthy of our focus. It's, a, it's worthy of, our, of our, our allegiance to him. And, and, and the, the take back is he adds so much value to our lives when we see how valuable he is. How do we worship? We worship by remembering that we're on the winning side. We, we worship by expressing it. And, Song is just one of many ways. Whenever we help somebody in the name of Jesus, that's worship. When whenever we obey God's commandments, that's worship. Whenever we use our gifts and talents for Him, that's worship because we're showing that it's valuable. I don't, I, most of the time, in my life, I don't do anything I don't think, I don't think has value. I mean, why, why would you do something you don't think has any value? I mean, even the most mundane things. I mean, why do you pull weeds in your house because you think. I, my plants will grow better if I pull the weeds, right? I don't like doing weeds, but if I pull the weeds, I think there's value to it. And when we do things that honor God, that we see there's value to it, right? Does that make sense? And, but we need to recognize it's very simple when we don't worship God. It's because we're preoccupied with self. And that can be done in, in, in little ways or major ways. I, I close with a story. I was, I was reading the, story, uh, the, the, the account of Louis XIV. Louis XIV was he uh, ruled in the, 17th century, in the 1700s. And uh, he was he, pretty successful as a, as a monarch, and he came to the point where he, he, it was Louis the Great. Right? And so he had come to that point. He, he even said, "You know, "I am France. I am France." And so when he died, uh, or when he was thinking he wasn't going to live forever, he prepared this great service in, in remembrance of him. and he, he got the, the greatest cathedral in France. Packed out. He, I don't know if he paid people to come to his funeral or whatever he did, but, I mean, there were people were everywhere. And there was put one single candle in that big auditorium, just lit, one lit candle. And he was to portray his life as the source of light for that nation. Well, the bishop came in, and in the hush of the time, he, he went over that little candle, and he just extinguished it with his fingers. And he said, there is only one that it's great, and that's God. See, we, we, we can put ourselves on the throne when we do that. We, we, we forget who really is great, and only God is great. Let's pray. Father, help us to be a people that just live a life of worship. It doesn't mean we're singing songs every moment of the day, but we, we look at what we do and who we're doing it for and, and what value... Uh, brings to to your heart and to your program and, and father help us just to take every moment of a conscious day and and just bring you into it and seek to please you with our attitude and actions help people see that we know what is really important in life because we know who gives us life and gives us life that will last forever help us to be a people that that walk worthy of who you are and we pray us in christ's name amen Let's stand this morning as we...